Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you get that heavy feeling in your gut and, and you feel awful when you're around this person and they make you feel like you're less than a person and that you would be nothing without them, that's not okay. Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to It Ain't Week to Speak. I can tell you right now that those five words are very meaningful. We're very purpose-driven, and we're very passionate about those five words because it's very important that people know out there that it ain't weak to speak, that there is a lot of help and support out there. But further than that, and more than that, is in general, it ain't weak to speak about anything, any problems, any challenges, any successes, anything you want to ask, know that it ain't weak to speak. I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who continually listens to the podcast and thank you for being part of this community. It really is a community where people are coming together from all walks of life to help grow, to help learn, to help listen and to help other people so that they can start thriving and not just existing in this world that we live in. So thank you to everyone who shared the podcast. Thank you so much for giving up your time wherever you are right now. We're very grateful. I'm very grateful. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm very excited to welcome our next guest onto the podcast. Her name is Jazz Rawlinson. She's an Australian mental empowerment speaker. She's also the author of the internationally renowned book series called Reasons to Live One More Day Every Day. If you haven't heard of it or if you haven't read it, I urge you to pick it up. We'll talk more about that through the episode. But what we will be speaking about probably on a deeper level is the reasons behind that and why she started it. Her journey through domestic violence as a, as a young kid growing up in a household of domestic violence, the impact that that had on herself and her family, uh, her subsequent failed relationships that also led down the domestic violence and sexual assault routes and how she couldn't create boundaries. We also talk about what uh, I guess she learned and the tools and strategies that she's implemented to find the love of her life and the family that she now is thriving in. Uh, and we also talk about things around domestic violence isn't just physical, it's, it's emotional, it's mental, it's spiritual and everything else. And I actually found it very fascinating, but without giving too much away, I want to get straight into this episode. So for, for all males and females who might be going through a, through something very similar or a sticky situation with a partner or a loved one right now that doesn't know what to do, this is an episode that you don't want to miss. So without further ado, let's bring her on, Jazz Rawlinson. 
Well, it gives me great pleasure to be here this morning, 8 a.m. in Brisbane, her time. Jazz, welcome onto the podcast. Very good to have you on. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Nah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You've been an, uh, a big advocate for, for the mental health space and uh, the suicide prevention space for the most part. And we, we connected a few years ago briefly at a, at a book launch. It was 2018, I think. Time just flies. But yeah, 2018 for my first, one of my first book launches in Sydney. So that was really, yeah, really cool to meet you there um, and now reconnect now so many years later. Talk to us about your book. Like without fully reading it myself, I've got a lot of questions for you. Obviously, a couple of years ago, you launched your book. Uh, where did the idea of launching your book and what's the name of it? Can you share it with us? Yeah. So it's a series called Reasons to Live One More Day Every Day. And it was really inspired by a couple of things, one of which was the death of my dad. So I lost my dad to suicide when I was 18. But really, you know, having come through so many challenges myself, you know, which we'll probably get into, but growing up with family violence, going through sexual assault, various things like that, there came a time in my life where I was kind of just, you know, everything was going really well. And I was just thinking back about how far I'd come and thinking how crazy it was that somehow I'd been able to come out the other side of so many things that once upon a time I just thought there was no way I was ever going to get through. And I thought, you know, what was it that helped me get through? I mean, we're losing around, you know, at that time in 2016, 2017, when I started this project, we were losing around two and a half thousand people a year to suicide. And I just thought, why is this happening? Why do we have such a lack of hope and a lack of resilience in our communities? And how, what is it that helped me to build my resilience? And maybe I can talk to other people who've been able to get through as well and find out what sort of things helped them on their journeys and what things hindered them and, you know, share powerful stories and, and storytelling to help other people who are still on their journeys to know that there is hope and that there are still reasons to live even in those really dark times. And it's just about pushing on, you know, one more day every day until we find out, you know, what that light on the other side looks like. So that was, yeah, a little bit of the inspiration. And, and that turned into a series of books where I interview a range of people, usually Australians, but a couple from overseas as well, just interviewing, you know, high profile and everyday people about their journeys and just sharing those stories to to really help people know that no matter what you've been through, there is a way out the other side. Very powerful. And, this, and the, the power of storytelling changes and saves lives. You and I have both experienced that firsthand, you know, and no doubt you have through your book and the people that you've touched throughout that journey. But before we touch on that, with the death of your father, you know, a few years ago to suicide, what was the impact like on you? How did you get yourself out of that tough spot? It was really difficult for me, but probably not in the ways that people thought. So generally when someone is lost to suicide, particularly a family member or a parent, the first thing people say to you is, I'm so sorry for your loss. You know, you must be devastated. And I understand why people say that. And um, it's true, but it's really hard when you've grown up in an environment of family violence where the perpetrator is one of your parents. So for me, it was my my dad. And so I had had really severe depression and anxiety since the age of 10, but didn't know what it was back then. And by the time I finished high school when I was 18, like I just, 
really did feel like my head was kind of just bobbing above the water. I really felt like I was treading water for those eight years. And it was really, really hard to, yeah, to get through that and then to, yeah, lose a parent in that way, but then to also have all these conflicting feelings about that person was really difficult. So I went through shock and then I went through guilt, you know, guilt that somehow I had caused this to happen because I wanted my dad to disappear. Like I never wanted him obviously to disappear in that way, but as a teenager, I just wanted the abuse to stop and I just wanted that to go away. And so when he disappeared from our lives through suicide, it felt like it was my fault and that somehow I had wished this or caused this. And so I think I I carried that with me for a long time. And then I also had no idea how to choose healthy relationships, how to set up boundaries, how to say no to things that weren't going to help me thrive. Um, So I went into a, a lot of sort of relationships and things like that that were not healthy at all. One of those led to a sexual assault when I was 21. So age 21 was probably when I really had to pull myself out of that dark place and decide that I was going to actually decide to turn my life around because I guess I was living from quite a strong victim mindset. And I would say, well, no wonder nothing ever works out for me. You know, nothing ever goes my way. Of course, this guy doesn't like me because I'm unlovable and all these sorts of things. So I had a zero sense of self-worth and value. And it wasn't until after that sexual assault at age 21 that I kind of realized that I had to start taking some responsibility for the way my life was going. And that's quite difficult to talk about too sometimes, especially around things like sexual assault, because people will, you know, we always talk about things like abuse or assault from the frame of, you know, it was it was not your fault. And of course it wasn't my fault, but I did have to take responsibility for the fact that I was continually putting myself in situations that were unhealthy and continuing to chase after guys who were proving to me over and over that they couldn't be trusted and that they were not good people to be around and yet I would keep going back to them. So I, yeah, it was quite a powerful moment. I sort of had to realize if I don't change something, this is going to keep happening and things may be a lot worse next time. You said you put your hand up and you took a bit of responsibility, uh, uh, something that I believe needs to be done. But I also feel as a team, we all share the responsibility to help people get better and to find certain strategies to get out of those dark holes at certain times of our lives. But saying that, what was some of the things that you did take responsibility for and now looking back at those times when you were in vulnerable situations in bad toxic relationships that really weren't going anywhere for you what do you think was missing because we can talk about that now because you've got a family right yeah so you mean what was missing from those you know relationships that i was pursuing yeah and what what was missing from you internally i guess what what do you think you weren't really in touch with emotionally physically whatever it was i think like A lot of women, and I hear just about every woman I know say this, is that for so many women, regardless of whether they've experienced trauma or not, 
they seem to have real difficulties with stating exactly what they want and need from a relationship and what they deserve as a, you know, inherently as a human being that's worthy of equal partnership and respect. And I just did not feel that anyone would ever truly love me because my dad had spent so many years telling me, you know, you're worthless, you're stupid, it's your fault if my, you know, if your mum and I divorce, it'll be your fault. Like everything was always placed back on me. So any guy that I pursued, I just felt that they were never really going to love me anyway and that I wasn't really that interesting or special. So yeah, I would just put their needs above mine, I think, because I wanted to always be the person to fix everything. You know, I couldn't control what was happening in my home life. And, you know, obviously we couldn't fix my dad and what was going on for him. I've always been a very sensitive person and very empathetic. And I just never wanted people to hurt. So in in those, you know, relationships, if you can even call them that, that I was going into, I just didn't want those guys to feel offended, to be hurt. And I was so afraid of doing anything that would make them maybe not like me or not want to be with me or be upset that I just completely overlooked anything that was important to me in a relationship. And I would just erode those, you know, I would write down lists of what I wanted in a relationship and what things were important to me. And I would just smash them down like within weeks, if it meant that I felt that that person liked me, even if it was at the expense of what I really needed. So yeah, I just had no sense of value that I what I needed actually mattered. And I think that's why I kept pursuing what I thought was love at all costs, at all costs to myself. So so what I'm hearing you say is the impact that the suicide death of your father and the family violence had on you, it felt so out of control at home and growing up, things sort of felt like so out of control. You, you couldn't really pinpoint exactly how to fix anything at home. So as a human, you were trying to lock yourself into problem solving jazz to try and fix other people's problems but that would come at the detriment to yourself is that what you're saying yeah pretty much yep yeah so it's essentially that trauma and that experience growing up i, I you know i wouldn't wish that on anybody and the impact that that would have is you know set in a second to none and it sounds like that was the you know the byproduct of those traumatic experiences was this life of feeling not good enough and unworthy and trying to make up love in areas which are so outside your boundaries that you had no control of anyway. For a lot of young women who have grown up with dysfunctional fathers, you know, a lot of studies have shown that those, you know, young women have a significantly increased likelihood of going into abusive relationships themselves. And for me, I used to just flat out say, I'm never going to go into an abusive relationship like my mom. I'm never going to let anybody treat me this way. But it, it was probably over 10 years until I actually understood that domestic violence and abuse are not always physical and that they're mental and emotional and spiritual. And so there were so many factors that contributed to me going into those really unhealthy relationships. But because of the way my dad had treated me, I just, uh, I didn't know how to set boundaries. And I think that was the big one. It's powerful stuff. You know, growing up, you've experienced this stuff firsthand as you, you made a really important point there. 
A lot of people think domestic violence is all about the physical abuse and violence. It can be spiritual, emotional abuse and all that sort of stuff as well. What was your biggest learning curve that you took away from all that? Well, like I said, I think it took it took at least 10 years, not until I was around 30 before I even understood that domestic violence, you know, is not always physical. And I was married by that point and, you know, doing, you know, doing really well. But to go back to sort of age 21 after that assault, it was really hard for me to actually learn how to start creating healthy boundaries. And this is a really big one for people who've been in abusive relationships or grown up in dysfunctional homes. You know, there might be someone listening right now who goes, well, that's great, but like, where do you even start? Like, I wouldn't even know where to start with creating a healthy relationship or setting boundaries. And that's where I was at age 21. And even though I still didn't have very great self-esteem or self-worth, but I did say to myself, that wasn't okay what happened to me. And I shouldn't have had to experience that. And I don't ever want to experience that again. So what can I do to try and stop something like this happening again? And I have always been a big writer. I've always been a big journaler. I really remember journaling since the age of 10 when um, it was kind of my coping strategy for when the violence was happening in our house. So I would often lie on my bed and write short stories or journal And I've taken that with me through my whole life. And so I remember writing down all the qualities again, you know, probably for the millionth time that I really wanted in a relationship and what I wasn't going to stand for. But this time I think it was a bit different because I had been through something so awful. I sort of had that as a point of reference to say, well, if I don't stick to this, this is what could happen again. But one thing I did do was that Instead of taking people at face value, I waited for them to prove themselves. So shortly after that assault, I actually ended up going into another relationship quite quickly. My self-esteem was still shattered. But one thing that I did do was that instead of just trusting that guy when he said, you know, you can trust me, I'm never going to hurt you. I would say to him quite bluntly, okay, I know you're telling me that, but that's also what the last person told me. And they spent 18 months telling me that they were never going to hurt me. And yet they did over and over. And I said, it's not enough for you to just tell me that. I need you to show me. And so I would really take note of how he showed up to things and how he spoke to me. And I think one thing that I'll never forget is that one day we were just going for a walk on the beach and he just made a joke that he thought was quite I guess to most people, it would be meaningless. It wouldn't really stick with them. He just made this flyaway remark like, oh yeah, you loser, something like that. And it was like somebody had hit me in the gut, you know. First thing I wanted to do was just kind of push that feeling away and say, oh, you're being stupid, Jazz, you know, just get over it, be fun, you know. And I actually turned to him and I said, I know this probably sounds silly, but can you not call me things like that because it just reminds me of the way my dad used to talk to me and um, I fully expected him to just have a go at me laugh at me make fun of me and he was like I am so sorry I didn't realize that and I'll I will never do that again and to his merit he didn't and we were actually together for three and a half years and in that time 
he really did help me to to reset my life and learn to trust again. But it was also a a big learning journey for myself because, like I said, I wasn't just taking him at face value. I watched to see if he kept his word with things, if he turned up when he said he would. Yeah, and he proved to me through his actions that he was trustworthy and that's really what helped me to learn to trust again. And I think that's probably been a big part of why I am in a, a healthy marriage now and you know have a family is because I had that little bit of courage to start speaking about how I was feeling and what things were coming up for me and what I actually wanted, even if it felt stupid to say at the time. And I think that's where it all comes from is you've just got to take those tiny little steps and really, even if you don't believe yet that you're worth more, you've got to, I guess, just fake it till you make it in the sense that you've got to just say what you need and how you feel until you actually feel comfortable doing that regularly. What I'm hearing you say here, especially is the power of speaking up and standing your ground and and telling it how it is and creating boundaries. Like I do like the way you do this and I don't like the way you do this stuff. Can you not do that moving forward? And then, as you said, the power of words versus actions, very, very different, right? We can all tell anyone what they'd like to hear, but if they're not, you know, represented in quantifiable actions, then really how strong are their words? You know what I mean? That's a really, really strong point that you said there. And I want to rewind a little bit, but then I want to dive into that that section there, especially for people that might be struggling right now in relationships or have endured domestic violence or, you know, bad relationships that aren't really serving them any good right now or to stop them serving them in the future. You said journaling was a part of, you know, calming you down. It was like a self-care strategy, especially through through those tough times. And everyone's got their own self-care strategies. It's something that we talk, you know, quite often at Living About, especially through our Living Well programs. You know, there's a there's a vast range of, you know, self-care strategies. It could be journaling, painting, reading, could be taking a walk, taking a run. It could be vacuuming your house. You know, they're all forms of meditation in a way that help people find clarity and calmness and look after themselves. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. But did you reach out to anyone for help and help you navigate through those waters? Or were you on your own? As a teenager, I was definitely on my own because I didn't even tell anyone what was happening at home until I was maybe around age 16. And even then, it didn't really feel like anyone could help me, although it did help to lessen the burden a bit. And that did help me to, to get through school and keep pushing pushing on when I really was very suicidal in my teens. And then after school, I do remember after that sexual assault, I did go and speak to a professional. I think it was one of the first times I'd ever been to someone. It was someone at our local hospital and I think my mum may have sent me to go. And honestly, it was, unfortunately, it was a terrible experience. The person, she didn't take any notes down while I was speaking. And so when I went back the second time, she asked me to repeat the trauma all over again. And then I think I just thought, I'm not coming back a third time to do this. And so it it was not until I was probably age 30 when I did speak to someone and that person, that psychologist was fantastic and she really did help me a lot. But for those years in my 20s, the only thing that I really had to help me cope was journaling and writing and I guess speaking to some friends, but even still, I had really great friends and I am very grateful for that because not everybody has that kind of support network. But... I guess at the same time, there's only so much that you tell people, especially when you are younger. And I guess in those times where we still didn't have great mental health awareness, it wasn't like it is today where you'd catch up with a friend and just say, oh yeah, my anxiety has been really bad lately, or I'm feeling really down lately. So journaling was pretty much the one thing that I turned to in, in those times to really help me. And it goes to show the power of finding and seeking help, but being patient with the help to find the right fit. You know, you said you didn't have the best experience when, when you went to that first person at the hospital who didn't bring their notes. And, you know, you know that's not the same for every case. You and I both know that, you know, and, and it might have taken time to find the right fit. And I'm glad you found the right person that could help you out, the psychologist that could help you out and, give you some strategies to, to help boost you and, and push you and get you get you further in front, I guess, than what it would have maybe been by yourself. And that's what reaching out and speaking to someone's all about. And it's a big thing that we do at Living, you know. It might not always be seeking professional help. It might be reaching out to a friend and telling them that you're having a shit time or, you know, I'm really struggling. And they might not have the answers, but if they can just sit there and listen, listen non-judgmentally and, and not sit there and make fun or say certain words that might be unhelpful, could be the difference between forging a very strong friendship and a relationship or maybe never being in touch with that person again, you know? So let's talk more about the relationships, you know, growing up before you got married. They weren't really helpful. You sort of did your homework. You did some work on yourself. You sort of, you know, asked questions, wanted people to prove through actions and not words that they could change and it could help you mold into the person you are today. What could you say to people or young girls in particular who are probably most vulnerable that are maybe stuck in, 
you know, toxic relationships where they feel like they can't escape. They don't know what to do because they feel like they're letting them down. What can we say to them, them right now or what could be helpful for them? It's so important for people to understand that domestic violence and abuse are not physical. And the reason I really want to hit this home is because it was only a couple of months ago that I was speaking to a crowd here in Brisbane the, the day after the murder-suicide of Hannah Clark and her children. It just broke my heart that for so long Hannah didn't know that what she was experiencing was abuse because her husband had never hit her. And when I spoke to that crowd, which it was quite amazing because none of us had any idea what was going to happen the 24 hours before I was meant to turn up to that community. And it happened to be a community that was about three minutes drive away from where Hannah Clark lived. And so it was really powerful. And even in that crowd, there were people that were saying, yeah, I haven't really thought about that. Or yep, for a long time, I didn't understand either that it was physical. And every event that I ever do, I have people that say to me, I lived in this kind of abusive relationship for 20 years before knowing that it was abusive. And so I just always want to hit home that, you know, abuse is, it can actually be broken down into many different facets. So you've got emotional and mental abuse, which many people experience. So, you know, if you've got a partner or a family member who is constantly, you know, psychologically manipulating you to, to feel a certain way or to believe that the way you're feeling isn't correct, that's a very serious thing that a lot of people don't understand. They think, oh, this person's just a bit of a jerk or they're a bit of an asshole. And that's exactly what I used to say about the guy that I was seeing for 18 months before he sexually assaulted me. I'd say, oh, he's just a bit of an asshole. But I didn't understand that he would, you know, often emotionally manipulate me. Um, he would say things like, don't be stupid about that or just sort of degrading the way that I felt about things. One thing that people don't understand is something called gaslighting, which is a, um, a psychological form of manipulation where the person really does make you feel like you're going crazy. So after my sexual assault, this person kept saying to me things like, oh, that didn't really happen. That's not what happened. Can't you remember? Oh, you know, that's, that's really cute. And he'd just belittle me and say, oh, that's cute. You can't remember what actually happened. And it would make me doubt my own version of events. And I'd think, am I going crazy? Like, I'm sure that this is what he did to me. But yeah, and that's something whenever I give talks, people often say to me, what's gaslighting? Because they don't, um, it's not something they've heard of before. And so I think it's very important for people to understand, yep, the emotional and mental component of it. Also that, that form of gaslighting where they're making you doubt your own version of events or things that have happened. And there's also, you know, spiritual abuse, which a lot of my clients, because I work as a memoir writing coach for um, people with transformational stories. And a lot of those people will speak to me about how spiritual abuse was a big part of their relationship. So partners using their faith against them, saying things like, you can't leave because you're a Christian or, you know, you just need to be more of a godly woman and, and submit to your husband, things like that. There's also financial abuse. So a partner withholding funds, making you have to beg for, for money or giving you a small allowance to live on and really controlling what you spend and yeah, what you spend, where you go, who you talk to, these are all different parts of abuse that aren't often understood because it's not it's not a shove or 
you know, it's not a, a hit to the face and things like that. So that's the very first thing I want any young person out there to understand, male or female, because domestic violence happens to everyone. And secondly, if you get that heavy feeling in your gut and, and you feel awful when you're around this person and they make you feel like you're less than a person and that you would be nothing without them, that's not okay. And I know it's very easy for me to say that that's not love because domestic violence is so, uh, it's so insidious and it does creep up on you. And there's a lot of this, people will, survivors will always say that there's a lot of good times in there uh, with, you know, amidst the bad times. And that makes it really hard to distinguish. But if that person is, is, you know, mentally abusing you, emotionally abusing you, financially, or they're making you just feel like you're less than and you wouldn't be anything without them, it's not healthy in a relationship and that's not what love is. And the very first step that you need to take is just to tell someone and choose someone that you can trust. So like you were saying, Sam, whether that is a professional that you go to, whether it's a psychologist or a counsellor, or whether that first step is just telling um, a close friend that you know you can trust, you've got to tell someone because the only way that any of us ever get out of these abusive situations or the only way that any of us ever make it through these really dark times that we're experiencing is by reaching out to someone. And that's something that my dad very sadly didn't do because he, you know, he believed it was weak to speak. Um, and that's why he took his life. And so it's just so important to reach out and you've got to choose to take that little leap of courage and take that first step and talk to someone because that it could save your life. And I can't stress that enough. You know, it talking to someone could save your life and we don't want you to become another statistic. So you've got to reach out to someone. I agree wholeheartedly as, as to everyone at Living and that's what we're trying to push. And I appreciate you sharing that part of your journey with us, Jazz. I think it's very insightful. I think a lot of young ladies would be able to take a lot of positives away from that as well as men. I think it goes both ways. Um, and I think there is a little bit of lack of understanding around what domestic violence and sexual assault is and, and how that can really, really hinder not only a relationship, but you as a person, you know, it can really scar you for many years to come. And it takes a lot of work to, to be able to unpack all that and to, to go through and, and deal with that emotional pain that sort of ripped you apart and dealing with it in a way where you can turn it into something positive isn't easy. And it doesn't just happen overnight either. So I think, as you said, it, it definitely ain't weak to speak and speaking up and asking for help is is very important. And don't feel like you're, it's it's something to be shameful about or don't feel like you're going to be judged. You know, you know, I'm just trying to put myself in someone else's shoes right now that has an amazing relationship on the outside that maybe behind closed doors it's it's not that good. They might be feeling really, really scared to speak up about it because on the outside, everything looks great and people probably look to them for advice and look how good that couple is, you know? And unfortunately, it's not always the way it is. And that's what stops so many people from speaking out is they're terrified of, of the facade that they've put up being taken down and they're terrified of people seeing through that. But I will say that, you know, that's something that... Uh, stopped my mum and our family getting help for so many years growing up is because everybody on the outside thought that we had it all together and it wasn't until my first book came out a couple of years ago and people started reading it that 
my mum's friends started having conversations with her about, I can't believe you went through that. I never knew that. You look like you had it all together. You look like you had a perfect life. And people probably thought that everything was fine for me as well. I went to a, a private school. I lived in a really safe and beautiful little valley, you know, just outside of Coffs Harbour. It was very, very quiet and safe. And I was very blessed to have grown up in that time where I could go riding on my horse or go exploring in the mountains and didn't have to worry about a lot of the, the fears that kids have these days for their safety. And yet the things going on in our house were were definitely not safe and things were not pretty like they looked on the on the outside. So yeah, it can be daunting to think about being vulnerable and letting people see what's really going on. But, you know, living in, in that fear and that anxiety and never knowing, you know, what you're coming home to each day with your partner. And that's something I lived every day with my dad was walking on eggshells. It's no way to live and it does so much damage to you that you may not even be aware of until many, many years in the future. So like you said, you know, you've you've got to talk to someone even though it can feel scary. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, and again, just trying to put myself in, in someone else's shoes for a moment and what people may be thinking that might be listening is don't want to get out of this as much as it's, you know, it's gaslighting and it's negative and it's emotionally draining and, you know, it's probably not that bad. I'm not getting hit or whatever it might be because I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to get out of this relationship and have to start a whole new one because I'm too vulnerable for that too. And my guards will be let down and I just don't know who to trust. And this is just a safe haven for me right now. And and I'm, I'm happy to take the pain and take the hits because there are a lot of good times too. You know, like, well, what do you think about that? Yeah, it makes sense. A lot of my clients are domestic violence survivors and they say those exact same things. One of my clients, she was just telling me, you know, recently we were working on her story and she said, um, it took me so long to leave because I just felt even though things were so bad, at the end of the day, he was always there. And I guess I felt like there was some loyalty in that, even though it was so awful. She was like, it felt too exhausting to, to leave and start all over again and doing it with kids as well. But she talks in her story about, you know, how she had this pivotal, powerful moment where she realized that if she didn't change things, her daughter was likely going to go down the same path. There was a moment where her, her daughter's school called her up and said, we've just had an incident where your, your daughter's boyfriend, now her daughter was 10, uh, or, or less than that, sorry. Your daughter's boyfriend has um, just kicked her in the stomach in the schoolyard because she wanted to hang out with her friends at lunch and not him. And what we're concerned about is not even so much the physical abuse, but her response. And her tiny daughter's response to that was, I'm really sorry, I won't hang out with my friends tomorrow. I'll hang out with you instead. And that just broke her heart. And she just said, I realized then that as hard as it was for me to leave, I had to do it because I did not want my daughter to go through what I was going through. I did not want that cycle to continue. And it was so hard for her to leave. And, and this is something that all my clients have said too, is that leaving is not the end. Leaving really is the start. And there is so much work to be put in and it's so hard, but it is so worth it when you get to the other side and 
you, you know, whether you go into another relationship and you experience what love is actually supposed to be, or whether you're, you're not in a relationship, but you just experience that freedom and, and that understanding of how life is supposed to be and what you actually deserve as a human. And so, yeah, I would say it is, it is going to be hard. It's probably going to be the hardest thing that you'll ever do, but staying in that situation just because it's comfortable is no way to live. And it's exactly the same for any mental health or adversity challenges that we have is that staying where things are comfortable that are not serving us, it's not going to help us grow. And that's what we're here to do as people is to grow, find our purpose, find how we can give back to others and what we're here to to do in this world. And um, I understand, I understand like very well that it's not easy beautifully said jazz beautifully said amazing way of articulating this this space in particular especially this topic i think it's one that you know people don't speak enough about and i think more education needs to be around that so that people can have these open conversations like we are starting to have with you know mental health challenges like anxiety and you know depression and stuff like that you know i've had a rough few weeks here in la the place is is an absolute chaotic mess with these riots going on and stuck inside on curfews and I've had my own challenges you know but it's important that we speak about them and we 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 can find the people that we trust and it might not always be a psychologist or a doctor or going to the hospital by any means but just getting it off your chest getting it someone else to listen listen non-judgmentally could be the first conversation you could have of many that could get you back on track so that you can live freely and happily you know so speaking of you know doing good work in the community and uh working with with other people and helping transform people's lives jazz what are you up to at the moment what have you been working on and how can people find you well, I'm actually working on the very final volume of Reasons to Live One More Day Every Day. Um, so I'm working with a couple of people right now, helping them write their stories, edit their stories, um, which will go into the final volume, hopefully to come out next year. I do still have some spots left for that. So if people do want to get in touch with me and learn about you know, how they can actually yeah, own their story, get their story out there, if they've always thought of writing a book or sharing their story, they can get in touch with me at jazzrawlinson.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at um, just look up Jazz Rawlinson Reasons to Live One More Day Every Day on Facebook. And what else am I doing? I guess like you just sort of trying to look after my my mental health and stay on top of my self-care so that when things do change and I can get back to doing, um, you know, my speaking gigs and things like that, that's yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. I just can't wait to get back out there and be in front of audiences again. It's a testing time for a lot of us, but... It is a testing time, isn't it, Jazz? It is a very testing time for a lot of us. And big love to everyone out there who might be struggling right now. You know, it's not easy and loss of people's work and incomes and job. You know, there's so many problems right now in the world. But, you know, I can assure you holding on and, and staying optimistic as best as you can and, and reaching out when you're struggling We'll get through this stronger than ever. Where can people buy your book right now if they want to get it? Yeah, so they can get it from jazzrawlinson.com and the ebook is also on Amazon. Um, but yeah, paperback copies, jazzrawlinson.com and uh, volume one and volume two are both on there. 
Perfect, perfect. And we'll share this, guys, on the, on, the, on the show notes as well as in the Facebook group post this episode. We'll also invite Jazz onto the Facebook group too. She's, she'd be more than happy to share with you guys anything else that we've discussed on, on the episode. But before we wrap up this show, Jazz, I want to say a massive thank you on behalf of myself and the entire Living community and everyone that might be listening today for taking the time to be on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. But before we go, what are your thoughts if I ask you one question and I want to get your interpretation around our mantra and the podcast name, It Ain't Weak to Speak. What's your first impressions of that when you hear it? And what does that mean to you? I think, like I said earlier, it just really makes me think of what my dad must have been going through in his head. And that I just really wish we had had these kind of mental health campaigns and that we'd had organizations and charities like living around back then because he was someone who really needed to know that it wasn't weak to speak. And sadly, he didn't know that. And there's still a lot of people out there who feel that way. So I have a lot of love for what you guys are doing. But yeah, it's just so important. You know, we are all human. We all feel and we all have basic needs for for love and, you know, for safety and comfort. And it's okay to want those things. Uh, And it's okay to speak out and get the help that you need. So please do it. You know, we're all human and we all need to reach out for help sometimes. Absolutely. Well said. And I, and I can't agree with you more. Thanks so much for sharing your, your insights, your wisdom. This episode's a great one. I'm sure, no doubt, it's going to help a lot of people in different corners of the world where this episode gets played. But without further ado, I want to say thank you. Look after yourself. Much love. And remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thanks, Sam. And you take care of yourself as well. Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Please like, share, and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at livin.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well. Keep living and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a top day. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.